at the Football Overview. Today, 38-year-old Pepe outperforms Ronaldo, sending Juve packing at the last 16. Klopp's Liverpool set more records, losing six home matches on the bounce. Barca, back to their fluid best, but forget to pack their shooting boots. Haaland and Lewandowski are at it again, plus our five recommendations to the new Barca president, Laporta. That's your roundup this week at the Football Overview. Hello and welcome to the Football Overview. With me today, I'm joined by Luke Bateman. How are you doing, Luke? Hello. Hello. I'm joined by Callum McCormack. Good evening, Dill. And Johan Aslett. Thanks for having me on, Dill. And as always, we'll start with your moments of the week, guys. So, Luke, what was your moment of the week? My moment of the week was Porto, 10-man Porto, beating Juventus in the Champions League. A heroic performance from a 38-year-old centre-back, Pepe, and lots of drama involved in that one. Callum, what was your moment of the week? Uh, my moment of the week was Lewandowski's hat-trick in the 4-2 Bayern Munich win uh, against Dortmund after the uprising star Haaland scored a brace. Uh, Lewandowski couldn't let him steal the headlines and that was my moment of the week. And finally, Yo's your moment of the week. I've gone for the messy penalty miss against PSG. Um, and again, that moment was a pretty big moment, very consequential for Barcelona, because I just think the deficit after that was too great, obviously, coming into the second half. So I've selected that. Yeah, that was a key moment in that game, wasn't it? That messy miss, you know, the penalty miss, wasn't it? The end of the first half. You just think if they, if Messi took that chance, you never know. That might have been a completely different game in the second half. And a story of the week, guys, you may have missed. An incredible story from the French Cup, actually where Marseille lost 2-1 to Canet Roussillon, who are an amateur side. They've only played three games since October <laughs> because what? of COVID regulations. Just That's hours, incredible. I know, just hours before the game, the Marseille president had gone vocal on his aim to win the Champions League. <laughs> Imagine that. And That's typical, isn't it? Yeah. You could argue that they've got... a fresh start now with Sampaoli winning his first match in charge against Wren yesterday. However, we're going to start with Luke, your moment of the week, Juventus against Porto. And where I want to start in particular is why do Pirlo's Juventus struggle to break down these teams? These teams similar to Porto, isn't it, where they sit back in this deep block. It was a really inspiring performance, wasn't it, from Porto and Pepe in particular? It was. It was just incredibly dramatic. It was a lot of fun to watch because Porto obviously had the lead going into the second leg. They were 2-1 up. Um, they got the most ridiculous sending off, completely self-inflicted for kicking the ball away, a second yellow, um, which I thought was going to cost them the game. I think everyone would have assumed it would have cost them the game. It didn't. As you mentioned, Juve just couldn't find a way through. Um, there was no real spark. There was no, just, there was no real creativity. And this is something we've seen a lot from this Juventus side under Perlo. Also last year as well under Sarri, it's quite similar. It's a lot of side words, it's a lot of possession, it's a lot of control. But that doesn't really get you anywhere. Uh, and against teams uh, in the Champions League that are willing to 
you know, uh, grind away to a result because mm. they are a smaller, the so-called smaller side um, and an underdog. They're happy to do it. Um, yeah, I just it was just incredibly dramatic. Pepe was fantastic. Um, Chancellor Mbemba, the former Newcastle United defender who I remember very fondly. Um, he was terrific. Absolutely fantastic, by the way, for 120 minutes of that. Um it was just, it was just full of drama and incident. And and when they got, and I think it was Sergio Oliveira got that free kick goal, and Ronaldo and Co. Terrible in the wall, just turning their backs, weren't they? Um, that was horrendous. And Chesney letting it sneak in, and then a minute later, Rabiot getting one back and being potentially a hero, start of a comeback, and then blazing a huge chance uh, over in a dreadful position. He was hero to villain in a second. Um, and generally, it just wasn't good enough. It was just lacklustre. And I know there was um, an interview or something from the Juve president talking about another potential European Super League or whatever, and he didn't want clubs like Porto and Lyon and Ajax to feature in that because they weren't sort of spectacular enough or big enough. And ironically, that's the three clubs that have knocked them out the last three years. So a bit of karma there for him. Yeah, that's uh, really true, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) You look at those teams, isn't it, that they've struggled to beaten the last 16 the last three years they've gone out to Ajax Lyon and now Porto this year um something I noticed in the game and I'm not sure if you agree guys but I was really disappointed with the positioning of the midfielders from Juventus they were very negative in the in the build-up for Juventus they were constantly coming towards the centre-backs instead of positioning themselves further up the pitch which then would have created the space for the centre-backs to carry the ball in the space and obviously play the ball further up the pitch to the likes of Artur and Rabiot. Is that something you noticed, Yoen, in the game? Yeah, so again, just elaborating a bit more on that. So like in possession from Juventus' standpoint, the layout was very kind of dysfunctional um, with no midfielder really kind of occupying that kind of space in behind the Porto uh, midfield. And um, yeah, that as a result kind of left such a vast amount of unattainable space, obviously between the defence and attacking duo of Ronaldo and Morata. Um, and again, as a result of that, with the midfield three of Artur, uh, Rabio, and Ramsey kind of um, kind of occupying similar positions, very close to the defence, I think um, it it kind of enabled Porto to really kind of press high and nullify much of their attacking threat in possession. So ultimately, kind of the first half display was very cynical, uh, predictable, and we witnessed a real kind of disgruntled Ronaldo um, who really failed to take uh, much presence in that first half. Second half, we witnessed uh, some moderate improvements kind of take place with uh, Juventus occasionally discovering some fluency um, and creating some good shapes and movements in possession, placing Porto on the back foot under a bit more siege. But uh, however, their inability to kind of really get Ronaldo in possession in those lethal areas of the pitch, in the box... Um, just continued and ultimately it was a great victory for Porto and let's just see how well they do. Yes, yeah, so you mentioned that disconnect there between the likes of Morata and Ronaldo and that midfield and of course that's to do with the fact those midfielders were constantly coming towards those centre-backs, isn't it? And obviously, Yo's, you you know, you mentioned there being about being on the blind side, isn't it? And, you know, creating those passing lines and then obviously those the job of those midfielders then is to feed the ball to Ronaldo, to Morata in those more attacking areas. But an incredible statistic under Pirlo, guys. They haven't won 1-0 once this season. And if you think about Allegri's Juventus, that was a common trait of those teams, wasn't it? And um, they've conceded a lot of early goals this season as well. They've conceded five goals in the first 15 minutes of Serie A matches this season. 
And that's just continued into the Champions League, hasn't it, Cal? Conceding those early goals in both legs of the Porto games. Yeah, definitely. Um, And there's no excuse for it, really. Uh, The players they have on the pitch, um, the mentality, the experience of those players, there's no reason they should be conceding within the first 15 minutes of games. Now, okay, you could argue that Pirlo is trying to implement a change in style and maybe that's affecting them. I suppose you could throw that as an argument. Personally, I think that's more of an excuse than than a reason for their poor form, uh, defensively especially. Um, it just, everything, I said it uh, last week to you guys, just everything at Juventus shocks me at the moment. Um, I just, I couldn't figure out what the plan was, both to counteract uh, Porto and to attack Porto. It seems like all the players were left to their own devices. Um, it just, at, at the moment, I can't see Juventus progressing because I don't see a plan. I don't trust the manager. You can't rely on Ronaldo, however magnificent he is, to to win you games on the spot. You know, if you're not going to feed him and you know give him chances at least. Um, so it was really worrying times for Juventus at the moment. And coming back to the domestic form, I can't see them dropping out of those Champions League spaces. But if this defeat against Porto um, causes them to drop even further off the pace of those teams around them, we could quite easily see Juventus not playing in the Champions League next season. Moving on now, Yoan, you mentioned that Lionel Messi penalty miss at the end of the first half. How big could that have been if Lionel Messi scored? Do you think Barcelona would have gone on then, Yos, to win the game? Well, very much potentially. I thought the first half, they were the dominant team. They had the better chances. They just weren't clinical. Um, I thought Dembele was very unfortunate. I think another day, perhaps, he could have really have... Obviously, if he would have got those goals, obviously, he would have changed the whole dynamic of the game completely. I was very disappointed, obviously, within PSG, to be honest with you, at least from what I saw. Um... PSG, they didn't really seem to kind of capitalise really upon that space left behind with Mbappe really taking effect. And that was something I found really interesting, speaking about PSG, because people always say that Mbappe really delivers in the big games and he gets those goals, etc. But last night he really failed to do so. So, again, I kind of want to pose that question to everybody else. I mean, speaking of Mbappe, why do you think in games he seems to really fade out? And I know we've had this conversation before, but I just really want to get your all input on that because from watching that game... For me, anyway, I, I just there, there was nothing there convincing me that he was on Haaland's level. To be honest with you, I I I think quite simply because PSG viewed it as as the result was finished almost. That seems to be the attitude they took to the game because they were very slow on the ball. They didn't really get going in any sort of way. That, like you alluded to, their defense, even their defense was quite poor. They 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 were quite slow to every ball, and they still went through. And Barcelona only scored the 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 one goal. Um, and it just it just shows, I think, for me, the level that Barcelona are at right now. You know, you said Dembele was quite unfortunate. Let's be honest, he just wasn't good enough. He didn't put the chances away. And in those big Champions League games, that's what you've got to do to, 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 to get those results. So I think definitely there's an argument for Mbappe. I think if Haaland was in that game, he would have attacked it with all his will. And he probably yeah. would have got two or three and really embarrassed Barcelona. 
but I think from Mbappe's point of view and PSG's point of view, the, the result, the game was virtually done. You know, Barcelona would have had to, uh, you know, recreate the, a miracle, um, which we, we know is possible, especially when you have someone of the quality of Lionel Messi in your side. But let's all be honest, highly unlikely that it was going to happen. Um, and, and that's why I personally think PSG performed so poorly uh, on the night. Perhaps it was quite clever from PSG as well, because we've seen them before try to be cavalier and get majorly caught out. I mean, they tried to keep attacking, didn't they, in the famous 6-5 comeback or whatever it, whatever it was that night. And they massively got criticised for it. And we still joke about it and laugh about it now because it was reckless. You know, they haven't thought enough about it. And the managers that have tried to get them to win the Champions League. I think it was just quite clever. Um, it was quite a poor performance, I'll give you that. But the job is done. They only conceded once. They they managed to keep everything else out. It was a bit. It was quite a complicated second half for them because they kind of didn't know whether to stick or twist. Um, they were bringing on players uh, that they didn't really know if they were going to try and get another goal or just stick to it. And in the end, they they, they definitely decided just to stick with what they got. Um, Dembele as well. I don't want to just gang up on a player, but oh my god, how many times on the big stage have we seen him miss chance after chance after chance I mean the way I was screaming at the TV was like I'd been a staunch Barcelona fan for 55 years of my life um he, he misses just doesn't he miss chance after chance all the big games for France he's done it um so many times for Barcelona he's done it and no game or no knockout round is ever about one player but just think of the chance he had um in the three and in the three nil against Liverpool, you know, a couple of years ago, last uh, two years ago, the Champions League, or last year, wasn't it? I can't even remember. Back in two thousand nineteen. That's right. That's right. And you remember that one at the end when it was literally just one on one, and he missed it, and then, you know, the rest is history. He just he's not he's not at the level, is he? Yeah, I've not only have I seen him have quite a few poor games where he misses chances and he doesn't capitalize on the big moments. I don't think I've ever watched him have a good game. I I can't even remember the the reason he was signed for for so much money. I it's it's like we're talking about a different player to to what he was before he went to Barcelona because the player I watch isn't clinical. He's kind of nice on the ball. He doesn't score enough. He doesn't get enough assists. He doesn't contribute to the overall play of the match enough he gets into nice positions and he doesn't put him away it's it's like watching Jovino to be honest uh it's it's now it's, that's a player it's it's, it's, it's he, he's rubbish uh, can, can I come in can I come in I I'm not gonna lie well, I actually yeah, really not, disagree I really disagree with you guys um well, Luke, yeah. Luke mentioned that he thought PSG were clever um I don't think there was anything clever about the way PSG set up I think Barcelona had them on the edge. As I said, if Messi scores that goal at the end of the first half, I see Barcelona going through in that game. I don't think there's anything... No, you don't. There, There, there is no way that you see them score, making it 4-1. They would never, ever have scored four goals on that. How many chances half? did they have in that first half? They would have... Con- Loads, but Dembele was on the end of big chances, to be fair. They were very big chances. They easily could have scored them. I know what you're saying about Dembele. It's pretty interesting because obviously speaking about Dembele... Was it last week, obviously, when he scored that really good goal? I think it was in Sevilla, was in the Copa del Rey. Yeah, exactly. And he was getting low. He was applauded greatly. So he is capable. He obviously has that potential. So it's not really, in my opinion, it's not really a matter of him not being established. I think to a large extent he already is. But again, you are right. He's, he does obviously need to be a bit more prolific in those areas. But by all means, I still think he has a lot of potential. 
Um, would you take him at Chelsea? Would he get in over Pulisic or... Yeah. Oh, the, oh, Pulis- oh, of course, over Not- Pulisic. Definitely. Why, 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 why would he necessarily get in over Pulisic? Already given up on Pulisic, what? I see. Classic Chelsea fan, what? fickle with what? all their players. What, 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 tell me, what, what, what has he actually Dembele? done? What has he actually done, Pulisic at Chelsea? He comes on the pitch, by all means, okay, yes, he has some ability. He can obviously dribble. He has some good acceleration with the ball, ball control, etc. But but come on, Dembele has got far more to his game than Pulisic. I thought that was an undeniable fact before this, but obviously it's not. Give me one reason. No, what? Tell me why I'm wrong. Tell me why I'm wrong. Pulisic was the best player in the league after lockdown last year. No way. Yes, he was. He played well who, for a few games. He scored, he scored a goal against Aston Villa, wasn't it, off the bench? He played well against yeah. Liverpool in the second half. That doesn't warrant well, being the best he's, player he's, in the Premier he, League after lockdown. Who, who, was, who was better in the Premier League going forward after lockdown than Pulisic? Kevin De Bruyne. Okay, I, I, um, I think Fernandes no, no, was no, better. You think Fernandes was better? Yeah, Bruno Fernandes okay, for sure. I, I, I'll, I'll, take, I'll, take, I'll take that. But yeah. you know for sure we were speaking about Pulisic a lot. And when have we ever done that about Dembele I, throughout his career? The, the, yeah, but to say that he's I, been injured, he hasn't really had much time to assert himself for Barca. So I think that's not really... Pulisic hasn't started a game on the Tuchel yet. He's barely plays five minutes. And I think as well, Pulisic did manage to string a couple of games together where he... he was performing every game, albeit under a Frank Lampard side, which actually shows how good he is if he's doing well in a Frank Lampard <laughs> side. Um, but Den Dembele, I've you know, like I said, I've never seen him have a good game. He's had good moments, like his goal against Sevilla, but a, a, a good game, two good games in a row. Oh my God, I I, I don't know where I do if I saw him have two good games. <laughs> hang on, but oh, saying yeah, that about Pulisic, like... hang on. So we had that really good performance against Man City. He got that goal and obviously proved to yeah. really deliver that game. They were very flawed. Let's just make that clear. Man City, structure-wise, they really played to his strengths. I really think so. So, yeah. to be honest, I don't think there's that much between them. But still, Dembele, I still think, has much more to his game. He, again, he can change games. I don't think Pusic can change games. He's too overly dependent on other factors taking place. So, yeah, I, I, I don't understand where you're coming from this. Because I just think Pusic only really takes effect when he has that extra liberty around the pitch. And he's not going to get that now. Yeah, he changed one the game from a game said... they could have won to a game they lost uh, against PSG. The last thing I say on Pulisic, and the reason I only said Chelsea, is because I, I'm not only comparing their ability, because I do actually yeah. think Dembele actually has more natural ability because he's two-footed. And yeah. I do actually I do actually like okay. him. Um, <laughs> do I'm you just, like him I'm after just this? It, it don't I'm seem I'm just frustrated with him because yeah, his potential is so massive. Yeah. Um, you know, Lalana is two-footed, but he potentially didn't live up to his potential. He's now at Brighton. Yeah, the last thing I'll say on Pulisic is just that in the Chelsea team, sort of right now, and in a structure, and in the Premier League, and in the big games, if you're going for a league, uh, you have, you know, the tracking back and the tactical awareness, I don't think Dembele would give you more than Pulisic could give you in, let's say, a title-winning season under Tuchel next year. I'd agree with that statement, yeah. All I would say I is during the 2016 <laughs> to 2017 season when Dembele had an unbelievable season under Tuchel at Dortmund, which led to Barcelona then spending £130 million pound on Dembele. Um, Money well spent. <laughs> no, obviously, <laughs> as Joan mentioned earlier, I think injuries has played a massive part to it. Um, there's no doubt. I think he, he hardly missed... played the first two years. Yeah, he missed some big chances yesterday, didn't he? But the reason I would have him at Chelsea over Pulisic is basically that 
if you think of Timo Werner, he wants to play as the left inside forward, doesn't he? Dembele, when he was at Dortmund, playing at his best, he was on the right, playing in the right inside forward channel. And if you watched him yesterday for Barcelona, he was playing on the left, cutting in on his right. However, if you mm. watch Dembele, when he's at his real best, he's always cutting in on that left foot. So it's a little bit like playing Robin on the left wing. Well, he's not going to be anywhere near as effective as he would have been if he was playing on the right. So, But we're going to have to move yeah. on now, guys, because um, Laporta, the ex-Barcelona president from 2003 to 2010, has now been reappointed the Barcelona president. He signed players like Ronaldinho, Samueletto, Dani Alves, Piquet, Rafa Marquez, David Villa and many more during his time. He appointed Guardiola as the manager over Mourinho back in 2008. However, he did make some real poor signings. For example, Ibrahimovic, who remembers this, when he cost Barcelona 45 million euros plus Samueletto, who Barcelona rejected a bid worth of 35 million euros that summer. So effectively, Ibrahimovic was worth 80 million euros. Just a season later, he moved to AC Milan on a season-long loan with the option to buy for 24 million euros. That's a loss of 56 million euros. Some other poor signings he made. Chigrinsky from Shakhtar for 25 million euros went back to Shakhtar just a year later. Who remembers Alexander Haleb, the ex-Arsenal player, who they signed for 17 million euros. So, again, a little bit of debate. You know I like a debate, guys. Instead of our top five, as we've done the last few weeks, we've done it a little bit different this week. So... If you guys were Laporta this summer, what would your priorities be? And I need you to name one player you'd prioritise to sign, two players you'd prioritise keeping at the club, and then two players you'd prioritise letting go. So if, if we start with Luke, who did you have as your top five, obviously, in those three categories? The one player I thought about prioritising to sign was a striker, because... A lot of what I've seen from Barcelona this season, um, not just last night, but I'll, I'll say last night as, um, as as a reference point, they needed Luis Suarez, basically. All the chances they were having, the focal point up top. There were moments I was watching it where Griezmann and Messi were both playing sort of towards the left-hand side of the um, the centre circle. And I just thought that is supposed to be two of the front three. And then Dembele was off doing other things on the other side. Um, and I just thought they desperately, desperately need a striker. Now, I was trying to think of fairly cut price strikers that are clinical, that are experienced, um, that could potentially want a new challenge. And I just couldn't think of one better than Sergio Aguero. Now, there has been some rumours about him in the last couple of weeks. There's been rumours really actually for about a year because he hasn't scored in the Premier League for 14 months, I think it is. Um, which I can't believe um, because he's arguably maybe the third best striker we've ever had in the Premier League. Um, and so I just thought he would actually be perfect. And I know he's a bit older and some people might think, oh, well, that's just, that's another classic Barcelona vanity signing. He's a bit of a Galactico as well. But I really think it will be perfect as a Suarez replacement. Say he gives them two years, but he gives them two years worth of 25 goals, which he's more than capable of. Experience in the Champions League, experienced winning leagues. I think he might be up for a new challenge because I know he doesn't really want to leave City, but... I think he could be tempted and I think Pep could be tempted as well. And I think they could get him for, I don't know, somewhere between 20 and 50. 
I, I think it could be cheaper than he's we think. He's a free agent at uh, the end of the season, Aguero, so they can pick yeah, him up. Yeah, he's a free agent. Oh, yeah. yeah. Even better. I thought it was perhaps next year. Okay, even better. I mean, it makes even more sense. I know his wages will be a lot, but I really think that could be a good signing. Uh, very quickly, the prioritise keeping. I've gone for Messi because of all the obvious reasons, but also because Aguero is a free agent. There's a bit of money spare in the bank. I know they're about one billion in debt, uh, but let's imagine they don't have that. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, we, we've all we've all done it. We've all done it. Um, so I think Messi is, is the one you you have to keep. I mean, if they can keep him, I know he voted for the first time ever. I think it was yeah, in the presidential was. elections. So that's potentially encouraging signs. I'm hearing rumours from you know the, the Spanish journalists and stuff that are more close to it that he is seriously thinking about potentially staying or at least considering the prospect of staying. So you got to keep him. And then I also thought you've got to keep. Ter Stegen, the goalkeeper. There are some other brilliant goalkeepers around, but it's not fantasy football, and you can't always just go and grab one from another team. There are plenty of teams as well that don't have a goalie near, anywhere near as good as him. So you guys might disagree on that, but I thought it was quite vital to keep him and build from there. And then for the players to prioritise letting go, number one, Philip Coutinho because it's been a total disaster. Yeah. I know we spoke, I think it was Dylan, you, you mentioned him last week on worst transfers ever, value for money and et cetera, et cetera. They've got to get rid of him. And not not by any means because he's a bad player. I think he's a fantastic player and he will do a fantastic job for anyone that goes and gets him. If he maybe goes back to Liverpool, if he maybe goes back to, to Bayern, uh, where he was last season, all manner of clubs would take him. Maybe even Real Madrid would take him as a, a Modric replacement or something. <laughs> Who knows? Um, so I think, honestly get rid of him for his own good as well. Uh, and it's cost them an awful lot of money. And then finally, Samuel Mtiti. Um, You might think it's a bit random, but I think <laughs> there's a player in there. I think there's a player in there. And I think it could be one of those scenarios where you think someone is not good enough for Barca and they become a bit of a, a scapegoat and maybe even a bit of a joke because they don't seem up to it for whatever reason. I'm thinking Luca Dina. I'm thinking Andre Gomez. They go to Everton, they look like world beaters again. And they, you, you can see their quality. So I think Samuel Mtiti at a club like Everton, especially now with a world-class manager in place, there's definitely a player in there. I really do think that. So Samuel Mtiti and Philippe Coutinho prioritise, get them out the door. I'm sure Mtiti so, would love that at Everton. Yeah, yeah some, interesting sure points, some interesting points there, Luke. Aguero I find really interesting. And obviously you related him to Suarez. And obviously you said they needed that striker to obviously put the chances away. I do agree with that. However, obviously the last few seasons, Barcelona with Suarez... They really struggled, didn't they, in those big games? So that's the only thing I would say about that. Um, Yos, who are your top five players, obviously, in those three categories for Barcelona? Well, again, I th I very much disagree with Luke's assessment on Lionel Messi. I think <laughs> it's about time that they finally get rid of him. I think his leverage over the club is absolutely ridiculous. I think he is Barcelona at this stage. And given, obviously, the, finan the financial predicaments and all that, I think getting rid of him... You know, will really kind of diminish that siege really on him. So I've got Messi as one of mine and also Pique. I think he is amongst one of the most overstated players of our generation. I've never rated him, yeah. never really thought of him as a great defence player by any means. Although saying that, obviously, £5 million at the time wasn't a bad deal. But in terms of the salary that he's on, you know, it's very much disproportionate of the ability of him. So I've got Messi out along with Pique. And to keep, now this is actually quite an interesting one. I've actually gone for Dembele, so it's going to be interesting what you guys say about that. Bear Ooh, mind what, what you said. Well, yeah, because again, to be honest, as I mentioned, the first two years, I think it's very unfair, to be honest, to really kind of judge. I mean, he didn't really have much time to really assert himself. So 
And recently he has obviously undergone improvements. I mean, obviously don't, obviously if you take out the equation in the last game, but in the Copa del Rey, I really thought he did deliver. He really was instrumental in that attacking development. I'm really, I think he actually befitted the tactics of the Barcelona. So I think there is a player that does deserve to be cherished by Barca. And I've also gone for Ansu Fati. I, th I love this player. I think he's a, gr a player of great ability. He always delivers, obviously, when you need him. And for his age, what he's doing right now is just beyond what I think most people's expectations. So I've gone for Fati and Dembele for the players to keep. That's not a bad shout from Luke with Aguero, but I think it would be absolutely criminal for no one to go for Haaland as of right now. I think it's inevitable. He is going to be the best player in the world, so I wouldn't hesitate twice. I would go for him. I mean, you take a look at his record now. Was it 20 goals and 14 Champions League games? He is the player to to really kind of replenish that void in Barca's team if Messi were to go, which is looking more of an actuality as time goes on. So I think Haaland is the player to bring in. Johan, on, on Messi... Go on, yeah. I, I don't actually really disagree with you because when he was going to go in the summer... I thought this was the right time because he has such a hold over them. The leak of the contract as well is astronomical and it's not his fault because it's what a club is prepared to pay you. So I do actually agree with a lot of it. But just sort of for argument's sake, take him out of the team, let's say, last night. Not, not just the goals because he should have scored twice. What is left of Barcelona? Now, it very well might be that we've got a load of great youth players. Fatty, great shout. He is terrific. Pedri looks okay. There's obviously brilliance coming through, and they are arguably yeah. like the best in the world at doing that. But but take him out of that side and don't replace him with six brilliant players. What what have you got? What, what is there? Well, well, for that, I think he's actually, well, first of all, I think he's actually right. Saying that, I agree with him, absolutely. But saying that, they've kind of put themselves in this position. You take a look at the past years with Neymar, when they got rid of him, they could have kept him very easy and he could have been that player to really emulate him. So yeah. again, I think you are correct, really, in that assessment on him in terms of the impact he has still right now. But I just think it's about time to go. I think, take a look at the financial uh, situation right now. It's not, you know, it's not alleviating by any means. And, you know, his, as you mentioned, the contract, I think, what's he on now? I think it was about... Was it two point five million pounds a week or something ridiculous? I don't think it's quite that much. Like that. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> a month. Sorry, yeah, but yeah. But generally, I agree on your assessment. But again, I think it's about time now they really let him go. I can, uh, to be fair, you could tell he's very dissatisfied. He doesn't actually want to be there, just for the record. I mean, it's only really been the past few weeks where he's really kind of stepped to the plate and really started covering more distance on the pitch and really putting a shift in. So. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, but I still think if you were to introduce a player like Haaland, he could actually really kind of revitalise that team. So I stand by my decision to keep him out or let him leave by any means. Yeah, he looked a completely different player, didn't he, Lionel Messi, last night? You know, whenever Barcelona lost the ball, he was first on the scene, wasn't he, with that counter-press. Looked a completely different player from that first leg. However, I actually agree with Yoz. So in my list, I've gone for two players who had prioritised letting go. I've gone Messi and I've agreed with Coutinho with Luke. Obviously, I mentioned that they spent £142 million on Coutinho. We mentioned that last week. Two players I'd prioritise keeping. I've actually gone with Dembele and Pedri. Obviously, Fati as well is another one that Barcelona must keep. And the player that I've prioritised signing is Sancho. And let me just explain this for one second because Luke, Luke mentioned there about... What would Barcelona do if they didn't have Messi? Well, let me explain my front three, or, you know, my fantasy front three for Barcelona. So I would play Antoine Griezmann as a false nine, Usman Dembele on the right, playing in that similar Robin position, and then I would play 
Sancho then coming in off the left. And I think Sancho and Griezmann come in deep with Dembele. I really think that front three could work. But Callum, who did you go for? So just to touch on everything you have all said, I think Aguero would be a great signing for Barcelona. I was pretty sure somebody else was going to say Aguero, so I left him off my list trying to think of someone else. Um, for what Ewan has said, I, I agree almost completely that if if they do get rid of Messi, they need to bring in someone of Haaland's quality. Absolutely have to. And Sancho would have been my pick for my transfer in. But I've actually decided to keep Messi and I don't see Barcelona spending the money that Sancho would cost, yeah. at least this year, um, if they're going to keep Messi. My reason for keeping Messi, as Luke has already mentioned, his qualities, I think I think there's going to be a lot of um, turmoil at Barcelona over this next year. And I think a player like Messi, who knows the club inside out, I think the value of having him there on top of his qualities on the pitch, I think for one more year, just to stabilise them through this next year, then get rid of him after that. I think that's what I would do personally. Um, Now, you have all said that uh, Coutinho should go, and I agree, it's been an absolutely dismal time for Coutinho at the club but with this um uh I've forgotten his name now the the president um, who's just been yes Laporta who's just been voted in I think it's 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 a chance for everyone to show um you know what they what they can bring to the club they've already lost so much money on Coutinho I cutting him loose is definitely an option, and I wouldn't necessarily disagree if they chose to do that. But personally, there's there's so much quality in that player, and especially with Barcelona, who like to play with, you know, really two really creative players on the pitch behind their front three. Um, I personally, I would prioritize keeping him and really, really focus on getting the best out of him. Um, for my players that they can lump it, they can go, they're not good enough. They haven't done it. They're not <laughs> going to do it, in my opinion. The club's too big. The, the club is too big for them to perform at. Um, is Griezmann and Dembele. Ooh. We've already spoken about Dembele. And I really? Think, Griezmann? I th- and uh, to touch on something else you said, Joe, you said two seasons is too quick to judge on Dembele, but you, you said Pulisic could go. He's only been there two years. <laughs> so <laughs> well, absolute, well, well, well. absolute rubbish coming from you <laughs> on that, <laughs> that point of view. Um, <laughs> but in, in terms of in terms of Griezmann, there is a world class striker there. Um, I just think the club's too big for him. He he's the kind of player who loves the, the limelight, who who thrives on being that goal scorer. And I just personally don't see him being that at Barcelona, being Barcelona's goal scorer. And I think the forward position at Barcelona, you need to be contributing a lot more than I can see him doing uh, over the next couple of seasons. I thought he's going to Everton with them, TT. Oh, yeah, yeah. wouldn't surprise me <laughs> yeah, at all. Yeah, it's a rumour. <laughs> <laughs> him and Calvert-Lewin <laughs> would be a great partnership up top. Um, now, my player to sign, now I've put I've put a player's name down. I was thinking Sancho, as I mentioned, but he's probably too expensive. And I've put a name down of a type of player I'd like to sign rather than an actual player because I think they they're just lacking so much 
up top at the moment. So much creativity. That midfield is just Busquets et al. for for the last three years. It just it, I, I don't even know. I, I haven't known their best three midfielders over the last couple of years because it may as well be anybody. So I've put in mm. Aaron Ramsey mainly oh, because no. oh, oh no. that's a typical Arsenal fan, that isn't it? Well, main, main <laughs> listen to my listen to my argument because he's, he's not happy right at Juventus. He's he's clearly not been doing it at Juventus. He does everyone switch their zooms off. <laughs> <laughs> he does have he does have the necessary qualities to play in a midfield as an attacking player, um, and I just think. Like I said, I'm not saying Ramsey per se, but he was the first one that came to my mind. But he's just someone who's going to get them goals from midfield because that's something since Iniesta left, they've been severely lacking, severely. And that's sort of the reason I, I picked um, Coutinho to keep as well because they need goals from midfield because you can't rely on your Messi's. You know, if you were to keep Dembele, Griezmann, whoever they bring in, you know, if they bring in a world-class striker, unless it's Haaland, you can't be relying on two players to score you goals when you're Barcelona. And that that was sort of my thinking when I was um, when I was choosing these players. Um, so, Carl, yeah, I think Wilshere is available as well. Oh, yeah, no, he's not good enough. <laughs> but, Carl, you, you mentioned Griezmann there and that, mm-hmm. you know, Griezmann isn't the standard of player that Barcelona need. All I would say against that is that obviously Griezmann's been playing alongside Messi, hasn't he? And they both want to occupy that central position, don't they? And drop in off the front three. So obviously I mentioned they're playing Sancho off the left, uh, Dembele on the other wing, and then obviously Griezmann in that false nine. Obviously you could quite easily have Haaland on one side, Dembele, and Griezmann slightly deeper. Could that not work, Griezmann, obviously, without Messi in the team? I... I... Definitely agree with that. Listen, there's definitely a player in Griezmann. You know, it hurt me to say that I had to get rid of him, uh, to be honest. But um, but I, you're right. That definitely could work. But as I mentioned, is can you rely on him next season? That that was my thinking. You know, is he going to be there next season, score those goals, or facilitate the goal scoring of the players around him? It, it all. It's such a delicate. Um, time for Barcelona that I just I'd want people that I can rely on to get those goals and that's why Griezmann didn't quite cut it and he's too good to have on the bench you know that was also my thing you can't just keep him on the bench so you may as well get rid of him that was my thought process there yeah I think because obviously you kept Messi didn't you in the team I think that obviously would give you that extra you know incentive to let Griezmann go obviously me and Johan have kept Sorry, we've let go of Messi, haven't we? And obviously that's why we've made Griezmann more of a central piece to what we would do at Barcelona. So moving on now, guys, I just want to quickly mention Haaland, who obviously Johan mentioned there that he chooses as being the marquee signing for Barcelona. You know, I was debating between him and Sancho, but I ended up going for Sancho just because of cost and he cost a little bit less in wages and because he can create more chances than Haaland would. However, Haaland has scored 20 goals in just 14 UEFA Champions League games. He scored two goals in his last four Champions League games in a row. Since his Champions League debut, guys, he is the quickest player ever and the fastest player to get to 20 Champions League goals. Johan, we'll go to you on this. So, Borussia Dortmund against Bayern Munich. Obviously, Haaland scored those two early goals, didn't he? But Lewandowski came back with the hat-trick. 
Lewandowski has scored 31 goals in 23 Bundesliga games. That works out on average as 1.35 goals per game. He's got 10 games left to reach Gerd Müller's 40 goal record. So who would you have on your side, Joes? Lewandowski or Haaland? In a game tomorrow. In a game right tomorrow. Well, I think Haaland has more to his game. I think, you know, he's better in the air. I do think he's actually perhaps even better technically. But no doubt about Lewandowski's finishing ability. I think for the fact that he's been doing this for such a long period of time now on a consistent basis, I think, you know, in terms of an out-and-out goal scorer, you can, you can depend on purely in the Bundesliga. You'd have to go him. But without doubt, I do believe Haaland will very much, or at least is very much capable in obviously surpassing him uh, goal scoring wise. I think he just is that good. Obviously, speaking about the Dortmund Bayern Munich game with Haaland going off, that made all the difference in the world. That in itself was very consequential for Dortmund. And obviously, then with having a player of Lewandowski's caliber in the final 10 minutes, who just know can just score from, you know, very capable in scoring from any time, regardless of the situation, he's always going to capitalize. And I think when they got that first goal, it really certified the victory then. So, yeah, it's looking pretty good for uh, Bayern Munich now. By all means, it's only two-point margin, but uh, it's looking good. I think they most probably will win the Bundesliga now. You would have thought, at least, anyway. Well, it's still tight at the top, though, isn't it? Leipzig just two points behind, but obviously that's a huge obstacle, you know, a huge hurdle gone over from Bayern, isn't it, defeating Dortmund, especially after that poor start. We mentioned Ronaldo earlier, didn't we? And how Juventus need to build a team for Ronaldo. I think it's quite a similar story with Lewandowski. Obviously, we mentioned who would you have, Haaland or Lewandowski. I think it almost depends what type of team you have. If you're a team like Bayern Munich, who are going to facilitate Lewandowski and his goal-scoring ability in the box, obviously you'd go for a Lewandowski. But if you're a team more like Barcelona or your Chelsea's, who aren't going to create so many chances, but he's got more to his game, Haaland, doesn't he, too? to create chances he can run on the wing, he can come deep as well. So, Cal, who would you have, Haaland or Lewandowski? In my side tomorrow, if we were going to play tomorrow, I had to rely on a player, it would be Lewandowski. And it, for similar reasons to Johan's just said, his qualities uh, and his his goal-scoring ability when given the opportunities, he's probably the best in the world right now at putting the ball in the back of the net. Um Haaland, of course, if it was for a season or for the for the future, it'd have to be Haaland because he's go he's definitely going to be one of, if not the best player in the world in, in uh, over the next couple of years. But for the for the game tomorrow, it, it would have to be uh, Lewandowski. He he he's he, you know he should be the Ballon d'Or winner and probably the Ballon d'Or winner for this season, especially if he goes and breaks Gerd Müller's record. Um, so. Yeah, for me, Lewandowski. Moving on now, we're going to talk a little bit about Liverpool. And they went 68 matches at home without losing a game. Now they've lost six home matches in a row. They're the first side since Huddersfield Town to do so. It's the first time they've lost six at Anfield in a single season since the 1953 to 1954 season when they finished bottom. Obviously, they played well against Leipzig in midweek. But have we seen this false optimism before? They've had, you know, a few good results here and there, but they've never been able to sustain that form, Cal, have they, um, into the next run of matches? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, I think playing a side like Leipzig, who were open chasing the game, needed to score, suits Liverpool down to a tee. Whereas we often see them struggle against sides who are happy to sit deep and hit them on the counter-attack. The one promising thing I would say is that Fabinho's back in the number six position, in his best position. Now, for weeks I've been calling for Henderson, or months really, for Henderson to be in that position back in the midfield. I'm I've never been a fan of sacrificing your best players playing in their best positions to cover for other players in other positions. I I've you there's so many different occasions that has happened playing playing someone out wide who's a great number 9, you know, playing a a, a, a number 10 slightly deeper in the midfield. It just doesn't work. And I've been banging on about how Henderson should be back in that midfield, almost underestimating the um, effect Fabinho would have in that midfield. Um, and I, I hope for Liverpool's sake that his introduction back into that midfield will now give them a platform to go on and get a few results, some, some better performances. Just can't see them losing again at home. I mean, surely not. Surely this has to be the time they kick on and start getting results at the weekend were you more shocked at them losing to fulham or at them losing six in, in a row um uh, it's the six in a row i think definitely for sure i almost didn't bat an eyelid when fulham took the lead <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, i'm in no way surprised they've lost to worse sides than that this season yeah you know brighton aren't as good as them burnley. and burnley aren't as good as them i mean you know, it seemed remarkable, isn't it? The only thing I would say about one of the points Callum made there about playing players in different positions is Fabinho did the role really well at the start of the season, didn't he? When he transferred from defensive midfield into centre-back. But obviously they had Henderson in the midfield, in the holding midfield role then, didn't they? The issue was when Gomez got injured as well and obviously Matip got injured, that forced Klopp to play both Henderson and Fabinho in the centre-back positions. So maybe that's where Klopp went wrong, was almost disregarding the defensive midfield position to accommodate the centre-backs, wasn't it? But obviously at the time they didn't have Kabak. Obviously they brought in Ben Davis as well. You mentioned as well, Cal, the way that Leipzig play. Um, Obviously they play this passing style out of the back, don't they? But without Timo Werner in their side, something I've noticed about Leipzig is they lack that pace and that quality um, to run in behind you know, which would have really hurt the Liverpool defence. And if you think about all the teams they've lost against this season, it's all been as a result of their high line a lot of the time, isn't it? And that pace from the opposition to run in behind. Do you think if Timo Werner was playing for Leipzig in that game, do you think it would have been a different story, Luke, that match? Yeah, I do, actually. A lack of pace really, really, uh, really affected Leipzig over the two legs. Um, Quebec and was it, it was Phillips last night, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. They would have been terrified of, of Werner running through, um, perhaps not in the form he's in at the moment, but <laughs> the Werner of old, they would have been terrified. And he's still got the pace, even if he hasn't got the finishing right now. Um, yeah, uh, definitely, definitely would have been better. I've been so disappointed by Leipzig because they're a really good side and they're second in the Bundesliga still. And they were fantastic in the Champions League last year. And they gave us a couple of like electric quarterfinal uh, and semi-final, did they get to last year? Yeah, semi-final. But this year, just... Total, total uh, car crash for them. 4-0 is dreadful. 
Yeah, because obviously they beat Tottenham, didn't they, in the last 16. And Timo Werner was massive in both legs of that match. Again, because of his pace in behind that really hurt Tottenham. Obviously, with Liverpool's high line and the way they play, if Timo Werner or somebody of that ilk was playing for Leipzig, they could potentially have really hurt that Liverpool defence. Callum, you mentioned a few weeks ago, didn't you, about Liverpool's high line. Obviously, you mentioned that you don't see Liverpool continuing this run at home. But continuing with this high line with Phillips and Kabak or obviously Reese Williams in as two of those centre backs, I wouldn't actually be surprised if they do continue to lose some games that you wouldn't have thought they would have a few months back. Yeah, definitely, uh, I I agree. Um, with with that high line and with players like Phillips and Kabak who aren't superstars, they're definitely going to concede chances and goals, and even. Uh, against Leipzig they conceded one or two chances early on which if Leipzig had scored we could be talking uh, you know about a whole different scenario right now um I can I don't see them going on anywhere near the type of run they have been on for the last two years but I do see them uh, you know I do envisage them picking up results from uh, their matches in the future purely because there's a few more players back in the squad. Players finally developing a partnership. I think it's something crazy, like 23 different centre-back partnerships. Might even be more this season um, for Liverpool. Uh, Whoever it is that's there, they need to develop a relationship. If if you can keep those three positions, your keeper and two centre-backs the same, then... It stabilizes the whole team. It just makes it just makes the rest of the team feel a, a tiny bit more relaxed. And Quebec and Phillips, they're going to make mistakes because, like we said, they're not superstars. But as long as they're only making one or two mistakes, and if players like Robertson and Trent and Allison are getting them out of jail every now and then, then they should go on and 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 win some more games or at least pick up a draw or yeah. score, for <laughs> heaven's sake. Um, at least score at Anfield from open play. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, but yeah, that's that's my two pence on on Liverpool at the moment. Just before we move on from Liverpool, there's been some discussion, hasn't there, following that Fulham defeat about. Klopp's stubbornness to the 4-3-3 and playing this high line. Some people have argued, though, that it'd be difficult to change formation, for example, the high line, or potentially move into a back five that obviously would give greater support for the centre-backs, more licence for the full-backs to go forward. Do you agree with that, Luke, that it'd be difficult for Klopp to change tactic in season? Or can you look at what Tuchel's done at Chelsea? And he had one day to prepare for that Wolves game, didn't he? And he'd got them play in a completely different system and got them to play well very quickly indeed, didn't he? So it's funny you mentioned Tuchel there because that that is who I would have uh, given as a reference point as well. You can change. You, I know when you're so successful with a formation, there is a temptation, obviously, to stick with it. They've had the most ridiculous success over the last two three years. But I think sometimes you do have to change. And also, this is a season where they're no longer fighting for the title. They're maybe even no longer fighting for top four, depending yeah, on how the next not. couple of weeks go. So 
you've just got to you've just got to try something different. I mean, you might as well. They're fighting for a different thing now, and so it can hardly get worse, can it? Especially at home. So why not try something else? Why not try some things we've already suggested before on the show? A three four three or a three five two potentially, just something a bit different, um, which would really get the best out of the wing backs. It might get people like Yotta and uh, Mane a bit more central. We're not the experts. Klopp knows what he's doing, but I think a change would be refreshing, to be honest. Yeah, I think some of those Liverpool players really do need a refresh. Just before we finish, guys, I just want to quickly mention the Madrid derby where Atletico Madrid took the early lead in that game. Suarez, I'm not sure if you guys saw that outside the foot finish from Suarez, absolutely sublime. However, in the last minute of the game, Suarez on the counter-attack was a simple ball through for his teammate. I think it was to Correa, messed up the pass and then Real Madrid then went up the other end. Benzema in a tight space had literally no area to shoot, got the shot away in the bottom corner and that game finished one all. And obviously with Suarez, it does sort of show what type of striker he is, that he can produce those great moments, but he's also got that weakness in his game that sometimes he just doesn't keep it simple enough, could have just played that easy pass through on the counter-attack. But just before we finish, guys, your match to look out for over the next week. Luke, what have you gone for? Um, I'd never normally like to talk about my own team because it's too painful, um, Newcastle United. But I'm going to try and be objective about this. One of the biggest games of the weekend is actually Newcastle-Aston Villa. And I think it would be a neglection of duty not to mention it because it is actually massive. Um, I'm going to try and you know speak from a third person here, but they need a victory so badly to stop the rot and get any sort of feeling of positivity to build upon. A draw could do it if they were 3-2 down and got an equaliser in the 96th minute, but it will be the manner of it. Really, they need a win, and Aston Villa are a very, very good side, but they are without Jack Grealish again, where they don't tend to win games. Am I feeling confident? No. Do they need it well more than I feel like they are going to win? Yes. So I think that could be very tense. Terrible game for the neutral, but it does have consequences. And Cal, your match to look out for over the next week? Well, another, well, not really another, but a mid-table clash of uh, Arsenal versus Tottenham. Uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, I think, you know, it's North London derby, although there are no fans. It's always going to be a good game. You know, Mourinho against Arsenal, you know, he's always hated Arsenal, always enjoys getting the better of Arsenal. Well, Tottenham are in great form at the moment. Arsenal aren't, although a couple of players have slowly returned uh, from injury. Looks like Partey will probably play one of his first matches uh, since he came off against Spurs. It'd be interesting to see uh, the difference in performance from him. Um, Spurs are in incredible form in the last couple of games. Bale's form is reignited. But it's, it's going to be a great game, definitely. Uh, so yeah, the North London derby. And I would go to Yoan, but I don't know what's happened to him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure it'd be something to do with Barcelona and Dembele. Yeah. Uh, I think we've beaten him in the argument and he's gone scared. <laughs> yeah. Pulisic has come looking for him. <laughs> but that's all we've got time for this week. Thank you, Luke. Thanks, Cal. Thanks, Yoes. And yeah, we'll see you again for another episode next week. See you then. <laughs> to be fair, I actually listened to you when you said I don't mean this player, but I mean.
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, good one.